Where does Street Fighter V rank in terms of technicality when compared to other franchise entries? Catalyst and I have differing opinions, but try to hash out a definitive answer. Plus, Blanca has a goofy glitch that's surprisingly not too upsetting to the Street Fighter fanbase. Sony makes a statement about why they're not attending E3 this year. Nintendo isn't quite satisfied with selling 12 million copies of Smash Ultimate, and plenty more on this week's episode of the Event Hubs podcast. Perfect. And welcome to the EventHubs.com podcast. This is John Catalyst Gray, and with me as always is John Velociraptor Guerrero. I was not ready at all for, for any of this. I... I don't know where to. I, I can't even. I can't even accept my introduction. I just gotta marvel at what what crazy kooky things are going on up there in uh, in California right now. You know, I get trapped in the snow. The podcast is a day late, and that's all I've got to work on is my my cheesy radio guy voice. So that's what you get to hear. Um, there it is. So no, that's that's a breath of fresh air. It's a good way to kick things off. Get started on uh, what I think we're going to evolve here. We've okay, so we've traditionally been it's no secret a street fighter 5 centric podcast and to an extent a street fighter 5 centric site you know we, we cover a wide breadth of things but that's usually at the the center of our uh, of our hub if you if you will but we're transitioning over to becoming the jump force podcast because that game is just about out i think it comes out tomorrow if i'm not mistaken and we've been seeing more and more uh, jump force content that people can't just wait to gobble up. And so I wanted to talk about it for, you know, an hour or two. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to talk about it for about a minute. I just want to say that it's an it's a great idea because it melds all of these huge IPs together that people are so excited about. All of these different animes, Dragon Ball, Naruto, Yu-Gi-Oh!, One Piece. Oh, man, it's all over the place. It's this hodgepodge of all-stars from the anime realm. But, man, it is uh, the more and more that we see of it, the more people are starting to rag on it, it's getting lukewarm reviews from, uh, I believe it was Dakota that posted the story about its reviews recently, and we've been seeing visuals from it for quite some time, and they've been okay, but then the cutscenes from the main story came out, and they're they're just really shoddy. We're getting those PS2 graphics oh, kind man. of memes and such. Like they're gold. I love how little the characters move, and they're like just sitting there, like blinking, and like you could just like I, I don't know what the animator tools that they're using to make the cutscenes, but you can see like they're putting minimal effort into any kind of movement. Or it's just like oh wow, it's like you guys really got in over your heads, didn't you? And um, uh, you you bit off more than you could chew in terms of like character roster, and now you've just got to throw something together, and this is what we got. So that's that's. Exactly what it feels like, and so I, I'm not here to necessarily just contribute to the voices that are saying the cutscenes are crappy. They are sure, but the bigger takeaway that I'm having with this is that it seems like people were sitting down in a business meeting and they got they went, you know, what would be really cool is if we had all the coolest things that all the people like all together in one game and they could fight each other or whatever. And and they said yes, and they grabbed that idea, which which is cool. When we first heard about this, it's like Goku fighting Naruto, fighting you know, it's all these dream matches. And how many times have I been sitting around you know high school or college, whatever, at lunchtime, and and said, yo, I would really like to see if Wolverine fought Master Chief. Oh no, but if Yoda was there too, all that kind of stuff. And this is basically pandering or, or catering, I should say, to that crowd of of people that love their fantasy fights and whatnot. But what it feels to me is that what happened is they, they went with that idea and and they they did it up big because they got like 7,000 different IPs is what it feels like. But like what you were saying, 
came in. They didn't dot the I's, they didn't cross the T's, and they didn't really do a really quality job on most everything else. It started as this big idea with this uh, conglomeration, and then that was kind of it. And I'm wondering how people are going to receive this. Obviously, people on our website are, are ripping it up and down because we're all about critiquing the little things. And, uh, you know, we saw what happened to uh, the case of King of Fighters 14. When it first was revealed, the visuals were bad and it was under heavy fire and they were able to fix things. Team Ninja kind of fixed it up and, and it was a successful King of Fighters game. And then you have something like Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite that saw a similar issue with visuals. Um, and I think expectations were a bit higher for this game and there were even more eyes, so the reaction was a little more severe. But that was, in no small part, one of the things that ended up burying this game before it even arrived. And there were other issues, of course. But it's no small thing, especially here in 2019, that your game, even before release, has to have up-to-par visuals or else you're going to get in trouble, amongst other things. And so I'm wondering... Will people take this really cool idea with all of their favorite buzz buzz characters and think, well, it's good enough, and they'll and they'll give it their money, or will they say, no, we're not going to be okay with this? Because I think the direction that people go with Jump Force will be um, a big it'll be an, a big indicator for developers, and they'll know whether they can get away with doing this kind of thing and just giving us some really big surface level flashy lights, but nothing underneath. So. I would go, I mean, I haven't played the game yet, but just based on what I'm seeing and based on the reviews and such, if it's like a 6 out of 10 and that's giving it, you know, with a little bit of leeway, it's a little liberal way of, of talking about it, then I say, don't buy it, you know? Uh, if that is indeed the case, I don't think that we should reward this idea if it is indeed Jump Force is what I'm saying here. And again, I haven't investigated it fully, so I can't necessarily 100% say that. But if that's the case, and it seems to be, then I would say let's not be okay with this because they're just going to churn out more. If it really is this bad and it really is this lazy, let's not reinforce that. Yeah, uh, right now on Metacritic, it's got a 64 out of 100. Uh, that's on the PlayStation 4. Uh, it hasn't gotten too many other reviews here for the PC, but on the um, the Xbox One, it's a uh, 63 out of 100. It's That's not a very good score. Um, I don't know how many people look at the review scores like in the aggregate now, you know, with the Metacritic. I personally do uh, if I'm unsure of if I want to, you know, play a game or not or really get involved with it. Um that's a big deal. That's, you know, that's, hey, that's solid, you know, but it's not, oh, it's not great. You know, it's not even really good. Um, I, I think that's speaking pretty loudly right there. I haven't you know, ran through all the reviews to see like, you know, what are, what are they actually saying about it? But uh, man, that speaks loud. And I mean, we know from Capcom and I would assume Bandai Namco's in a, a similar boat, like, they want good review scores here. Um, uh, I mean, who, who doesn't, right? And that has usually a direct impact on sales. Uh, I don't know how many games sell like really high if they've got like a mediocre, you know, Metacritic score. I'm sure that that exists, you know, it has to be exceptions to the rule, but I, I bet you the rule is generally if you got, you know, crappy scores, you're going to get, you know, lukewarm stuff. That's what we've seen with Capcom games, at least. You know, we, well, we know that for Bandai sure. Bandai has been kicking ass. Mm -hmm. Tekken 7, Dragon Ball Fighters, uh, Soul Calibur is around, and uh, we'll talk about that maybe. But they've been doing really well. As you said, they might be the next to kind of be, take the role of the torchbearer and such. But I think they deserve a, a little bit of a slap on the back of the hand for this one and say, no, you can't do it this way. You have to have quality at the fundamental levels. It can't just be big flashy lights. Yeah. It sucks to see someone mail in a franchise with this many amazing IPs and like the looks of the characters and all that have, there's some characters that look amazing in this and there's some characters that look like they got, you know, Marvel versus Capcom Infinite, you know, <laughs> they got hit with the Chun-Li stick or whatever. So um, anyway, yeah, it's, it's disappointing. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. How, I don't have much more to say beyond that. So. 
If you haven't checked it out, there are a few uh, examples that you can see. The, they're popping up all over social media. I did a story last night, and there's a, a few in, in there. And you can just probably Google Jump Force, and one of those articles will pop up. But there's a there's a scene where I think Vegeta, spoilers, by the way, a little tiny bit, Vegeta becomes corrupted by whatever the corrupting force is. But it's represented by this little cube that's on the ground, and it's behind him. And it just slowly kind of like rises up. And the camera is just so that you can just see from about his foot to the back of his knee. But it rises up and like it really looks like it just goes up his ass and then all of a sudden he's corrupted Vegeta <laughs> how do you take that seriously or Frieza floats away and flies away and, and oftentimes in Dragon Ball Z or Dragon Ball the animation is that they just kind of hold their pose and float upward but it looks so rigid and and I mean you need to have some kind of sway some kind of further acknowledgement so because because it looks like they did that and it was like the very first day one thing and then they just took that and moved on and maybe it is but <laughs> Oh, Anyways, man, you gotta, you gotta. It's 2019, and it sounds, it sounds nitpicky to me because I don't traditionally care as much about these kinds of things, but people really do, and games have died for this kind of stuff. So I mean, it, you could say it's nitpicky, but you look at the, if you look at the examples of what people are talking about, it's not nitpicky at all. This is really bad. This is really bad. Like I, I think it's actually a couple levels beyond Chun Li's face because. I get that's like kind of, I guess it really comes down to the eye of the beholder there. <laughs> I guess pun intended as well, but um, my goodness, yeah, I've dug myself a hole, but it's it's bad. I will just say that. All right, so Jump Force, we haven't played it, but it doesn't look too hot right now. Maybe the gameplay is really fun, and uh, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so moving along, we've we've got a Blanca glitch that's running rampant right now in Street Fighter V, and I have to take my hat off to, to Casablanca, who has finding new ways to troll with this damn thing. And for those who haven't seen it somehow, I, I don't know what rock you're living under, but if you haven't seen it, uh, Blanca does basically a plink with his hop forward uh, into super, and it, f- it freezes the screen. And he's allowed basically, I, I don't know, a uh, handful of seconds to kind of go up and do whatever he pleases and it can you know go into an infinite it can go into a bunch of other stuff it's essentially cheating it's game breaking um it can go into itself i think yeah, I, I think it, i saw shen doing it and oh, he can just man. freeze you and then you could technically freeze someone in like the air and just dance around them for the well i don't know if the timer goes down i, I guess it would because it's a super freeze yeah but uh but yeah you can if you do it consistent enough you could probably just freeze them and just hop around for the entire round right <laughs> it's goofy yeah so capcom said they're aware of it you know they're, they're gonna they're, i'm assuming they're gonna shut it down this has to be an emergency situation where i mean it's it's breaking you know ranked play uh you can't have that uh you can ban it in tournament you know if you you do that you're thrown out but the, there's no banning it online like you're you're gonna run across Blanca players doing this if they can pull it off consistently and uh, anyway so yeah i i just i i the trolling levels of it like blanca is a troll character the fact he can do this like is very fitting i i'm just like yeah this is kind of exactly what i expected from blanca players so there it is there's a certain uh, a, a amount of i don't know maybe novelty in it one it's the first street fighter 5 gameplay news that we've had in a long time right and we've been anticipating it every day we're like well is there a new street fighter news nope i mean it, it, they've they've had Capcom Pro Tour and the 3v3 league and such, but nothing as far as gameplay and and nothing as far as the new characters, and we've talked about that. But the thing that kind of comes up and is the new talking point for the game, at least in this one avenue that we've been thirsty for, is that 
the troll character gets a super troll move. And I don't think that people are really mad about it. Mm-hmm. First of all, Street Fighter V hasn't had... It's it's had a sh- fair share of problems, don't get me wrong. But it hasn't had these game-breaking glitches pop up very much. And if they have, you know, it's it's a quick fix and, and Capcom's kind of done with it. And um, and so this this is like, ah, eh, it's, it's fine. And I think that as weird as it is to say, we're in this kind of weird place where people aren't maybe taking the game as seriously. It's like, well, until we know where, where things are going, it's like I'm kind of hesitant to invest and and so this is kind of almost in a weird way a breath of fresh air. Wow! It's, it's okay. Well, it's not the best thing ever. Right, it it right. does it does hamper online play. If I run into a Blanca immediately, I'm like, well, this is silly. And if they do it, then it's it, whatever. Um, and and you do have to regulate it, and it does need to be removed as fast as possible. But it just feels like the way people are talking about it, they're not mad at Capcom. They're just like, yeah, this happens, and it's funny, and it's it's kind of well timed, and so. It's like it's not the worst thing that that could happen for the game. As as weird as that kind of sounds, it's just kind of like this lighthearted, almost cavalier tone that the community is taking. Where it's very clear, uh, you know, with all of the stories that have happened in the last few years, with the current chapter we're in with fighting games, this is the kind of thing that you would rip a game apart over. Especially Street Fighter Five. People love to hate Street Fighter Five, <laughs> and yet eh, it's it's kind of just like. Yeah, it's there. It'll get fixed. And right now, we're just having fun watching people get hit with the stupid, silly shenanigans stuff that's going on. And and the biggest draw about it is, oh, yeah, I want to see someone just troll somebody else, and I want to see the reaction on stream. This morning, I woke up and, and was just perusing Twitter a bit because I hate myself, and I saw Shen do a video where he's just doing that online. He's playing Blanca, and he's just going around. He's facing off like against like a warlord or super grandmaster <laughs> ultimate.com character or, or player. And he's doing it to them. It's an Akuma. And he does it. And he's just having a, a he's having a gay old time, man. He's just laughing and doing it and freezing things. And he's figured out how to do it with, I think, Blanca's backwards hop, too. I think you can do it. I, thought, I, I think I saw him do it there. And then uh, the Akuma just randomly supers in between screen freezes. And it catches Shen. And he goes from laughing just with this deep belly laugh to like this straight stone face that he can't believe it and he gets caught by the super and it kills him and he loses and it's just this face of a kid that was you know going around with a balloon and someone just walked up and Akuma super popped the balloon <laughs> and it's wonderful and I think that as bad as the as the problem is the glitch is there sure but people are having fun with it and people are loving seeing Shen troll and then get trolled you know and, and Casablanca do all these things and it's like it's really digestible. And so, I mean, in a weird way, we'll take it. Yeah. Um, man, that, that just kind of blows my mind in, in terms of, of uh, just like Akuma. Of course, of course, it would be Akuma. And of course, he would super through it, right? But um, it's uh, someone put up a story about this, and, and I think it's very true. It's funny when it happens to someone else. It's not so funny when it happens to you. Like, <laughs> it's, yeah. I, I, if I'm grinding in ranked, like I've been avoiding ranked for this reason, like right now, I'm like, oh, I could play it. I'm like, oh, maybe I don't want to lose like a couple hundred points to a Blanco player that does this to me because I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm playing a little bit for points and I know it's not going to happen all the time, but like if it happens a couple times, I think I'd be so pissed afterwards that I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to take a break here until they patch it out. But that is one thing I'll say too, is I think it's not as big of a deal because people feel like Capcom's actually going to patch it like right away. You know, they've addressed it. They, I I don't know how many precedents they've set in the past, but I think the expectation at least is that, yeah, they're, they're aware of it. They're going to jump on it and take care of it. And I think it's more, I think it's a, a part of the reason why people are okay with it. 
well, how far does it delay whatever DLC characters we're going to get? Because the team has to jump over into emergency fix Blanca mode. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nothing more needs to be said on that front. Okay. We're not happy with the radio silence, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Fine, whatever. Uh, well, I mean, we did have Matt Edwards, you know, uh, uh, jump on there and say, hey, you know, Street Fighter uh, Five story, like not the story itself, but, you know, the story hasn't ended yet. There's more to come, which is good. It's it's it, That's how desperate I think we are for news right now, that the fact he he – said very little we did not already know but the fact he said something is like oh good you know at least he, he they're saying something you know and oh god yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely we'll take it yeah. that's communication yeah, it's something. You know? um yeah <laughs> you said that you uh you've been avoiding ranked I, i've been on the record of, of not playing much street fighter in the past um i played in the in our locals and i ended up winning from losers bracket and like adjusting and it was like kind of this re uh, it was a bit of a reinvigoration for it like it was seeing the ball go through the hoop so i've been playing <laughs> since this blanca patch or this blanca glitch thing i actually have been playing in ranked and i haven't run into a blanca yet so that's been nice okay. but yeah i just i just wanted to kind of give a quick update on that also um i wanted to give a quick shout out to uh to two of the arizona players here that have been listening to the podcast that i didn't realize because they were like actually asking me about some of the stuff that we were talking about recently on on the cast and such and um so i want to give a shout out to sean dude the nicest buddy in the world and thrasher thank you guys very much for listening thank you everybody for that tunes in regularly i guess that kind of all comes from like that we're just sitting here talking to each other you don't realize you know, it's just not as real you know mm-hmm. until you actually have a conversation with someone so thank you guys everybody that routinely listens to this we uh we really appreciate that and um and i, I don't know if we say it enough but here i'm saying it right now so thank you guys yes. thank you very much so um on the subject of street fighter 5 the game has sold about 700,000 more copies um and that's shown me right now that that it has more legs than i i think we've 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 been assuming it's it's we're so disappointed right now with where the game is at. Like I I don't know anyone out there who's like, oh man, the game is in such a great spot because you know, we have no idea what's happening with it. Like I have never heard that sentiment from anyone. Uh, I I I think it's just a collective. Uh, damn it, what are you doing, Capcom? You know, um, with pretty much everyone out there. Um, but the fact that the game continues to sell, uh, it's up to almost three million copies now. Um, and and. It's. I know that may not sound like a lot, but considering that it's only on PC and PS4, and if this this was a platform agnostic title, um, we'd probably be seeing about five million in sales total now. If it, there was a Switch port of it as well, you know, and and I say that because mm-hmm. the, the 3DS version of Street Fighter 4 sold 1.3 million copies. Um, my guess would be the Xbox One would sell about a million. That brings us up to really close to our, our, a little bit over, I think, five million copies of the game. Uh, and and that would be. I mean, I think everyone would be going, oh wow, this is a pretty big title. Um, and so I, I just kind of go back to what Capcom said about this title being a service uh, and, and kind of how, pardon me, how dumb that is to have that tied to one console. And I get, again, why it was done this way. Capcom was running out of money. They needed Sony to step in and say, hey, we're going to finance, you know, part of the game in, in term, you know in terms of doing that, you're, you're going to have to give us console um, exclusivity of all the consoles for it to be on. It was good. It was on PlayStation, not Xbox. So we didn't get killer instinct. Um, so I'm, I'm happy for Capcom at the same time. I also look at this and go, yeah, that's fine. But you are very limited with this game. You're very limited in in your audience that you need to be reaching. And you see other titles selling much better than this one, like collectively um, from again, from Bandai Namco, like Dragon Ball Fighters and Tekken. And and I'm sure the NRS game, uh, Mortal Kombat 11 is going to sell very well. Um, And you just you have to go, okay, yeah, this is this is dumb. We you can never move off of Street Fighter Five in terms of being off of a, on another console. It's 
like ironclad sony has said it outright i think in a, even like a press conference they're like they will never be on another console like it's only going to be here so at what point do you have to pull the plug on this and say look like we are just too limited on this one console we need to get to other platforms what do we do and, and I, I again I, I think it has to be coming but Again, uh, I will just say it's it's nice the game is still selling. Uh, it's probably the arcade edition sales, you know, that they're wrapping up into Street Fighter Five instead of separating those. They're just you know adding on to it, which is fine. Um, but you know, uh, there it is. From what I could take away, looking at the Capcom Platinum titles rankings, so that's anything that sold over a million. Um, if it's a free update like arcade edition, they don't include it as a separate entity because if you look at Street Fighter 4, um, unless unless it just didn't sell over a million, but everything else did, all of their iterations, so vanilla, super, arcade edition, and ultra, all have their own little um, uh, you know sales uh, numbers. So they've all sold their individual, and you can add those all up to get the total of I think it's like 7.7 .7 or 7.9 million for um, Street Fighter 4 in total over its entire lifespan. And they don't have 2012, and I think that's because that was a um, a free update. But in any case, so yeah, there you go. You can compare that Street Fighter 4 sold over seven and a half million, and Street Fighter 5 here at the uh, end of year three is just barely getting almost to three million. And you go, well, there's a pretty big discrepancy there. But you also have to take into account that well, uh, four was on a whole bunch of different title or uh, a whole bunch of different consoles, like you just said. Also, there was DLC for 4, for sure, and people bought it, and that went into sales as well. But Street Fighter V is kind of like built from the foundations to be uh, a game that sells, you know, here in the modern era, it's, it's extra stuff. It's not so much about individual units sold, it's more about how many costumes can we get you to sell, how many extra characters can we get you to buy. And so it's, I think that a sale for Street Fighter V is more efficient than a sale for Street Fighter IV and individual units sold because you're more likely to have the the person or the, the consumer that bought it spend more money on it in the long run over the long term uh, than you would with uh, one of the older games just because of the way they were built up. So the, the gap isn't, I don't think, quite as big as it looks right there. And I think that the 2.9 million, whatever we end up getting to, maybe 3.2, maybe 3.5, who knows, something like that, Whatever the, the, the end result is, I say that it's a decent success. I think that there are a lot of lessons learned with Street Fighter V. One thing to take away, whatever the next edition, Street Fighter VI or whatever, it's not going to be Sony exclusive. I don't think, uh, with what you just talked about, like that's not going to be a thing. Lesson learned. And this goes through you know game development, it goes through game you know balance, it goes through PR. There are a lot of very obvious lessons that Capcom should be learning right now. And and we've seen like with the adjustments they've made on the Pro Tour that they can learn and they can grow. And so I think that ultimately that we're we're gearing up for an even better chapter. And in, in a lot of ways, the Street Fighter V chapter was the beginning of a of a whole new era, and it was a lot of new ventures that may or may not pan out. And a lot of them didn't. And that's kind of expected. And it's like you get lucky with some new things, you get unlucky with some new things, you you learn from the mistakes of others, and, and sometimes you have to make your own. They've made plenty of their own, but all in all, it didn't kill them, and I think that they'll come back stronger. I, I really hope that they do for, for the next chapter. So all in all, I'm not really upset with Street Fighter V. Uh, I think it's more of a learning process than... Um, than than much else but ultimately i think we're going to move forward and the information plus the sales is is ultimately a, a win mm. yeah i the growing pains of a new venture are always going to kind of be reflective in of not having the formula down 
and then at the same time, you, you can go, well, you know, Capcom's kind of botched every launch of their fighting games since Street Fighter 4 came out, you know, uh, 10 years ago. And, and and why should we trust them? And it, it's a very it's a very fair statement for people to make because uh, they keep yeah. falling over their face every single time they launch a, a brand new fighting game. Um, so I hope I hope that they learn. Uh, we're going to be uh, posting a lot of articles talking to Capcom directly about, hey, this is where you effed up before. Uh, please don't do it again. This is how to avoid it. Uh, we we know they read us pretty actively, um, and we're going to kind of be documenting that and and just. Man, just hoping that they don't mess it up this time. Like, please don't mess up your damn game launch. Like, we shouldn't have to tell a company this, but this is Capcom and this is what they do. Uh, I don't like being this negative, but it's like, damn it. Like, how can you be that inept this consistently with your game launches? It's not that hard. Like, I know game development is, I'm not saying it's easy, but don't ship a game when it's not ready. Like, it, <laughs> that's, it's really... And don't make deals with the devil, yeah. okay, Sony? And, no, they're not the devil. Come on, guys. Right. But, yeah, you know what I'm saying here. And and learn from from the mistakes that you've made, you know? And, and, and I think they really can. And I think that ultimately, the whatever the next chapter is, it will be a more focused, honed-in version of what this was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's all you can expect, man. If they make the same mistakes, I'm out of here. I'm going to go be a MOBA player or something like that. You know, but I don't think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, so next up we have Sony skipping E3, and they actually give us reasons now. And and it was pretty much like, this is the evolution of, of where we're at here in 2019, how journalism is done and how other things are, are accomplished now. I don't entirely buy that because... They're skipping like E3 this year, but I'm not going to be shocked at all if they're back at, you know, the next E3. And if you've never been, uh, these companies spend millions of dollars. It seems like I don't I don't have their official budgets here, uh, but on the marketing campaigns here for, for E3, it's insane. It's it's billions and billions and billions, yeah. John. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, but when I went uh, one year, they had like live action, like zombies, like running around and and they some of the zombies got a little bit too close for comfort like i i literally almost punched one and i mean i didn't like like wind up to punch it but it was like there's a zombie standing right next to me what the hell do i do and so like fight or flight yeah, kicks it, in. It's, yeah. it definitely kicked in but i mean there was a good 50 paid live actors doing that and and i mean and then the the stage production and all that it's a it's a lot of money they're spending there. And I have a hard time seeing a company like Sony just completely pulling out and being like, oh, no, you know, we're never doing E3 again. I know they haven't said that, but the way they harped on the event, like, it makes me wonder. But but what are your thoughts that you're seeing so far? Okay, so, so Sony, um, what is it? He's the, I don't want to get his title wrong, Sean Layden, who I believe is the, um, the head of all 13 development studios. For Sony, so he's a pretty pretty big guy, right? Pretty important guy. He spoke with CNET, and he's the and amongst a plethora of questions, one of them was, "Hey, you guys aren't going to be at E3 this year. What gives?" And basically, what Layden said is that the answer is twofold. It's one, uh, journalists, so it's like the media side of things, and the other is the retailers. So, like, um, I can just read you here what he says. He said. Uh, when we decided to take video games out of CES back in 1995 during the PlayStation 1 era, E3 served two constituencies, retailers and journalists. Retailers would come in, you'd see a guy come in and he'd say, hey, I'm from Sears and I want to buy Hot Wheels, Barbie, VHS, and video games. So what are you about? And there was this huge educational component. And then you had journalists who had magazines and lead time and jockeying for position on the cover. And there was no internet to speak of. So a trade show at that time of year was exactly what we needed to do. And it's like, here we are in 2019, 
that the part that he says about the internet is basically that we have 24 seven news. Whenever something happens and usually before it happens in the form of a leak, everyone knows about it, you know, in 20 minutes. And then that, that thing is done with. And so that main huge part of what E3 is, is like this presentation of what's going on over the next, you know, year. I guess the argument here is that that information tends to come out in a different way. And the idea of holding it all for this one time of year just isn't as efficient as it used to be. And it doesn't benefit a company like Sony. Well, it, it, this is Sony saying it doesn't benefit them. But what I'm getting like the, the takeaway in the next level from this is that, well, if it's not benefiting Sony and what they're saying here is actually true, then why would it be any different for Microsoft or Nintendo? You know, why wouldn't they kind of follow in suit here? So if what Layden is saying here is that like, we're, we used to use this time because it made sense for how we were gonna get things squared away with the retailers, how we were gonna make sure that um, we could be the, as efficient as possible when the holidays roll around. It's actually like, it's too late to do that because it's usually what is in June or July that E3 happens. Sony does this in February where they meet with these, you know, the retailers and they get all their ducks in a row in terms of what they're gonna do for like the um, the holiday season the middle of the of the year is just too late now. Mm -hmm. So E3 used to serve this purpose of media and it used to serve the purpose of getting ready for, you know, with the stores and such. And it just really doesn't do that anymore. And so this is laden again. The world has changed, but E3 hasn't necessarily changed with it. And it's like, if that's true, and, and I I mean, I got to take Layden at his, at his you know word here, then I think that a lot of other companies might follow in suit unless E3 changes to something else. And he recommends that it becomes like uh, something like, he says, we are progressing the conversation about how do we transform E3 to be more relevant? Can E3 transition more into a fan festival of gaming where we don't gather there to drop the new bomb? Can it just be a celebration of games and have panels where we bring developers closer to fans? That's what, it, uh, at least according to Layden, has to evolve into. Otherwise, I think that the other companies could very well follow in suit and E3 could just become an old thing that we used to do. Hmm. I, I'm sorry to say this, but like that, that quote to me reeks of entire BS, like Sony misleading and saying, hey, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. Because every time like we do E3 coverage, like on the website, we have you know battle plans up and down we try to get everyone on staff up there for the busiest time of the yeah, year it, easily it's huge and i can't see that not being the same thing with pretty much everyone else it's a it's kind of like you know it's a reason for everyone to gather together at that time of year and be you know big time and it, it's i don't know it reeks to me of sony like hey we're going to skip this year we've made a corporate you know plan to do that let's come up with justification for why we're doing that. And that justification is going to change like the moment we attend again, like the year after. Oh yeah, that was, you know, it was whatever, you know, basically what they're going to say. Kind of like cross-play stuff like, oh, this is the best place to play. Oh no, no, well, we changed our mind on that. Yeah, it's still the best place to play, but we're going to go ahead and, you know, support the consumer and, and all this kind of stuff. And like, yeah, I don't know. I, I have a tough time taking Sony at face value with that comment. Um, That's fair. But then what would be their motivation for skipping this year? They don't have anything good to show. And I honestly think that is the case. Uh, I think they're heavily ramping up for the next generation. Uh, I think they have a handful of titles worth showing. Um, I think it was, what was it? It was, was it E3 the year before they showed a handful of games and they had like the flute player, um, but they only showed like five or six games and that was it. Was that the previous E3? 
I couldn't I couldn't tell you the specifics yeah. of it. I know what you're talking about, yeah. but um, but I couldn't confirm it. Yeah, it's uh, it was one of those like events, and, and like people really ragged on him. Like, hey, you're the market leader. Why don't you have more to show? And and I get it. Like, if you're really ramping up for next generation, which you know, there's there's a bunch of reports of people having development kits, all that kind of stuff. Um, and you can't go in and and deliver on the expectation of being the market leader. I get that. Like that's hard to do, um, and you don't want to invest those resources in the PlayStation Four when you know it's going away in a year or two, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I kind of get that. I get why they're saying it. Um, one thing I will say though well, that Sony did say is, is retail has really changed, and if you don't follow the business news, uh, Sears is basically like on the edge of going out of business. Toys R Us is gone. We wrote a story about that. Um, a bunch of other retail outlets. I think Kmart is almost wiped out. Shopco is closing a bunch of stores. The the essence of it is. Retail is very much changing, and uh, if you look at like Amazon's like reports and stuff, and I'm gonna I'm gonna keep this really short because this is not a business podcast, but Amazon is doing extremely well, um, and and that's just kind of the changing nature right now of our business. And if you look at you know uh, GameStop uh, a little bit more closer to uh, people's hearts here, um, you can see that their their profits are just kind of tanking at this moment in time. Uh, so things are very much changing in the retail space. So that wait, people like GameStop. People just complain about how expensive GameStop is and how they give you pennies and peanuts uh, for your games that you trade in. Man, that's uh, how I feel about yeah. GameStop. I'm not sad at all to see them yeah. going down. I, I just I came from an era where where game stores were were few and far between. You know, and and just the novelty of going to a store that only has gaming stuff uh, still holds an appeal to me. Just because oh, it was I, really cool in the beginning for yeah. sure, but it just became this thing. I was like, ah, I don't. There's no reason to go in there. The demos aren't even good anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, I I get that. I get all the you know complaints about it. I just there's a novelty to me of of like, oh, you know, it was cool that this was kind of like the store that that did that. You know, there was toy stores and all that, but no one just did gaming. Um, you know, Babbage's software, et cetera, and all that, that. Those did eventually come along, but it took a while. Um, and and you know, just the fact that gaming has went from a novelty uh, to like an actual thing like I, I don't know it, it holds it holds a spot in my heart and I'm like the only person that thinks that way but anyway um, but retail is dying and, and Sony is very much aware of that and, and so when they say that E3 needs to evolve with the times and all that kind of stuff like they're not wrong I just don't think they're entirely telling you every part of their strategy and, and approach right now all right, so next up, we've got Mortal Kombat 11 leaks, and I'm not going to get into spoilers here, um, but if you do want to see who's basically been leaked for the cast, you can just check the website. Um, I will say that we do have a few characters that we don't have confirmation on, like who they are, or the assumption of confirmation, I should say, uh, because what we have is like the first three letters of, of names, and some of them are pretty easy to make out based on Mortal Kombat history and expectations of characters who you think would be in there, um, and, and the the a huge reason why we think this stuff is legitimate. Um, it came from the steam, you know, database is also like Boone. The last time stuff got leaked. Um, he had like, uh, like GameSpot's um, name on a, a, or GameStop, I should say his name on a Christmas list. And he like had it like crossed out, like on there. Um, he cut, they were the guys that accidentally leaked. Yeah. They were the people who who did the leak before. And he kind of did the same thing this time around. Uh, it seems like, you know, they, it got leaked. Uh, it's unfortunate. Um, so yeah, but uh, to avoid spoilers, but but also talk about um, some characters that we don't quite know of is T.E.R. Like uh, Justin, Adaptive Trigger, speculated that could be like Terminator or something like that, but we have no idea. And there's two others, uh, C.E.T. and K.O.L. And, and, you know, maybe people have figured those out by now. I don't know. Um, it's, it's kind of around, but this shows me that 
people give Capcom so much crap for for stuff leaking, and and now these other games are becoming a much bigger deal about you know the the roster here. Um, you're seeing a lot of this stuff leak for these other titles where people really care about the characters. No offense to Tekken, but but Marduk and Armor King. They're really big in the Tekken, you know, circle of things, but they're not like a, a Goku character. Are sure they're not Sub Zero. They're not Ryu they're, they're, in the general public. Yeah, their their IP is nowhere near. Sorry, it's just they're nowhere near as strong as these other, you know, IPs. It's just it's not even it's night and day difference. Mortal Kombat's one of the bigger, you know, fighting video games out there. Period. And, and there's so there's a lot more interest in kind of digging this stuff up um, and finding it. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is leaks hit everyone in this era. I don't care who you are. It's it's so common to look at Capcom and go, ha ha, you know, the Nelson guy from Simpson, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's, yeah, so it's just, guess what? It's out there. Uh, stuff is going to leak all the time. Unless you're Nintendo and can, like, put out, like, the Grinch leak or whatever. <laughs> like, make people think stuff is leaked and not actually leak. Like, Nintendo's amazing. I do not know how they keep stuff so well locked down. Even they get hit by leaks, but their their frequency of stuff that leaks out is so small. I don't know how they do it. They are, like, the only company I know of offhand that, that has, like, things so far under lock and key. Uh, and just, uh, they're very good at it. Even then, they have stuff happen. But, but yeah, um, so it's up there. It's up on the website. You can check it out. Um, happens to everyone. Yeah, you know, unless unless the leaks are you know being instigated actually by the companies like the development teams and such because it somehow benefits them for publicity and whatnot and they're behind it, um, unless that's the case, I think that they'll eventually go away. I think that the this just this, in the internet is too new um, how it exists right now for people to really be able to hammer it down and control enough of it. It's like back in the Wild West when banks were around and, and they served their purpose, but it was a lot easier to rob a bank and get away with it back then than it is now, right? And eventually, you know, regulations happen. People, you know, you know, the people come in and, and the robbers show where the hole in your defense is. So you, you patch that hole, they get another one, you patch that one. Eventually, you just have a huge, you know, fence that's completely patched and they, and they no longer have a way into it. But it'll be interesting how long this goes on for. Mm. How long it is that it's just leaks are a thing that come up when a when a new game's coming out and it's weird for someone like Nintendo to be able to keep things under wraps as as well as they do but i think eventually unless of course it it's part of the whole thing and and the developers behind it will stop seeing it happen as much so a character that's making waves right now in Street Fighter 5 and someone you have a personal uh experience with we'll just say is Birdie and Japan has him as a top tier character. Fudo has been using him now, uh, going away from Mika, which is interesting. I don't know if that's going to stick or not. Um, but he seems to be a very, um, I mean, J- Japan does not usually use characters who aren't very good. You know, it, it's it, even like just kind of dabbling with them. Like they've got to be at least kind of like mid tier um, to see them in tournament or anything like that. They they typically don't mess with low tier characters. It just doesn't happen very often. Um, and, and so I I mean this character did not get a lot of buffs. Like he he mostly got nerfed. You know, and, and, and the one buff I kind of talked about here, like. The main thing he got is V-Trigger 2 uh, with a chain, which almost no one explored, and now people are exploring it, and it's it's a, the classic here of, oh, this is good. Like, I just used V-Trigger 1. You know, why, why would I bother exploring this? And yeah, it got a buff. It's able to juggle a little bit more, but people just weren't using it. You know, like, and again, it's it's amazing sometimes how much good stuff remains unexplored for characters. And, and that kind of seems like what it's the case right now with Birdie is, is people just kind of like, we're sleeping on him, 
haha, this is the character who won Capcom Cup like a year ago. In, in, but they were sleeping on, on some of the stuff that he had, and he didn't really get much in the way of buffs, and yet now he's he's appearing as a top-tier character. Like, what are you thinking right now with, with everything happening? We spoke about solid characters a week or two ago and how that's good and how standard, you know, if you have a three-frame normal and you have a DP and you have this much range and you can and you can control the space with this much efficiency and the traditional Street Fighter strengths, um, it only gets you so far in Street Fighter V. I don't think Birdie is a very solid character. I think he takes uh, plenty of risks to do what he does, and that's why I've never seen him as an amazing character with like potential to be top tier, but always a threat in the atmosphere that Street Fighter V generates. Now, if so, so I see Japan put him so high up on the tier list, and I go, okay, well, they probably have a reason behind that, right? I don't think they're just trolling. So what could it be? Well, from my understanding, and this could be wrong, but from what I take away from that, from what I know with Birdie, and from what Japan is doing, and from what I've seen with Fudo, because they did, um, he's been playing their character for a little while now, and uh, who was it? High Fight did a just frame analysis. I think we posted that on the front page mm-hmm. of Fudo and his Birdie fighting against Daigo and his Guile. And um, essentially, I think that the character does the Street Fighter V game very well, first and foremost. And that, by that I mean he, he takes the risk, but when the risk pays off, it really pays off. And when it doesn't, he might get hit. Uh, he might not, depending on if you know, you're close enough to punish and such. But what it comes down to is at the end of the day, the equation, the, him taking the risk is better than not. And, and he does a lot of damage. And then so the buff with V-Trigger 2, um, as High Fight mentioned in the video, I think the main allure is that on hit like that that v trigger allows for a ton of damage plus oki after you've done the combo where you do the damage and he still has enough v trigger meter for one more um sequence with it if he tags you again birdie has a, some pretty gnarly oki mm-hmm. because he forces you to do something i mean as pretty much everyone does you know it right comes down to the rock paper scissors of block grab or uh or or strike right mm-hmm. but he does that he's got the uh, command grab and such but with this V-Trigger, I think it augments what he's got there with the Oki. And outside of that, his neutral is often... I mean, if, if you watch Mena, who's the most successful birdie to date, he's pretty much always doing something. Mm-hmm. He's making you play the game of like, well, you know, if you did this, you'll beat me. But if you did this, you're getting hit hard. And it comes down to a lot of reads. And birdie can afford to do that kind of a thing. So I think what V-Trigger 2 has done for the character is it augments when he actually gets in the kind of damage that he can do. Whereas V-Trigger 1, it did that same kind of thing, but he could do everything in V-Trigger 1 for the most part when he wasn't in it. It was like he made his command grabs hit a lot harder and it made his rushes do a little more damage or you know uh, have a little more priority, whatever it was. Um, but, but this one actually helps him with damage and further Oki. And so when you watch Fudo play Guile or play against Daigo, um, it's interesting because <laughs> they also have player cams. And when Fudo gets in, some of like the, the things that he gets in with is the, uh, the Zonk, which I think got a buff. And at one point he Zonks, not randomly, but it's after like a tech or something like that. And he happens to catch Daigo dashing forward. He was hoping, I think, to catch like maybe a Sonic Boom or something, but he happens to catch Daigo dashing forward. He cancels from there into V-Trigger 2 shenanigans and it's just a snowball into death. And he ends up winning four rounds in a row. This happens in round one. Um, Something somewhat similar happens. Oh, 
I remember. It's a later round, and he's doing a uh, a combo, and and both characters are low uh, low health. And it's not a combo. It's a um, Daigo's blocking, and he does ex uh, bull rush, whatever it is, where he's where he you know moves mm-hmm. forward and and attacks. All of his moves start with bull something. But anyway, he's doing bull rush, and he cancels it into the low chain, yeah. which I'm sure is unsafe, but it was just kind of gimmicky, right? Both in the instance where he got the the kind of random um, zonk, and in that you see in the player cams, Fudo is just laughing because <laughs> yes, he knows it's like, yes. man, this could have not gone my way, but hey, it went my way, and here we go. I just four round in a row Daigo. Yeah, and they were playing intense footsies like before that, like a good ten seconds of footsies and spacing, and it looked like Fudo like. I'm sorry to say, but it looked like he cracked and was like, well, I'm just going to do this. And it worked. Yes. And it was like, yes. oh, my God, like that was dumb. And it like destroyed Daigo. Like what? Uh, anyway, yeah. Fudo plays very smart. Yes. There are there are a couple of whiff punishes that you he, he's doing things with everything that Daigo has been doing in mind. And, and a big part of it is that Daigo is known as a fireball chucker, man. He does that all day. And a lot of what Fudo does, the zonk is to go through fireballs. He also hits them once or twice with like a perfectly timed chain grab, you know, where he throws it out and, it, and if the chain reaches you before the fireball reaches birdie, then the fireball just passes through because you enter this animation. And so he's countering Daigo's style very specifically. He's playing with thought, but the the difference maker multiple times comes down to like the I hope this works birdie and it does so so getting back to the initial point I think that Japan has just figured out that when you boil it all down the kind of risks that birdie takes even if they're not necessarily solid pay off so much more that they don't that he is elevated to top tier character when you play him with with a sense of competency you can't just go online and just learn how to do birdies moves and do them over and over again and win you'll win a little bit probably more than you should but you're not going to have results like mena and you're not going to have results like fudo but this character does play a lot with that with street fighter fives just do it kind of of mode and he benefits so much that i think he's um, it's the top tiers now. Gotcha. Uh, and just to, to clarify here, um, his bullhorn, which is, you know, his zonk knuckle, um, it, it actually got nerfed. It's now negative uh, 21. That's the EX bullhorn um, from negative 19. Like it, it got worse. Um, his EX bullhead, that's where he rushes at you. Um, that's a negative nine now. That's in V trigger. Like a lot of his stuff actually got nerfed. But the, the big buff that we didn't really talk about before that I, I think, again, is why people are going for it. And, and this took time for people to pick this up is, is his V trigger to the chain went from three blocks to two. And, 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 you know, obviously I mentioned before it can juggle more, uh, birdie players were not using this initially. Uh, I guess it took a little while and I guess Japan was also familiar with this. And, um, obviously uh, everyone's familiar with it if they read the patch notes, but they were familiar with how good this move was and, and just how dominant V trigger our two bar V triggers can be in this game. We know this for damn sure with Abigail Manat, um, anyone with a two bar mm-hmm. V trigger, not necessarily great, but, but if they're already pretty good, um, a two bar V trigger can make them extremely good. And and that might really be what what's kind of you know um, tipping stuff in in Birdie's favor at this moment in time. Uh, I, again, I went and looked at a ton of Birdie players. There's actually he's a very popular character, and he's one of the more um, like in terms of league points. If you go in Street Fighter Five, you will see a lot of Birdie players up there. Uh, Trashbox comes to mind. He's number one or was last I looked. Uh, but there's a bunch of other Birdie players, and I think it was seventy percent of them, eighty percent of them were still using V Trigger One at that time. Uh, and, and and that was you know back when we did our, our giant you know patch notes like evaluation story so 
some people had some inclination of uh, uh, V-Trigger 2 being a lot better. It uh, looks like apparently like Fudo and some of the other top players at Topanga uh, kind of knew about this and said, this change is BS. Like, we're going to start using this. Uh, um, Fudo's been playing Mika, I think, since season one, since like the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he switched off that character who got nothing, she got so much nothing, we didn't even talk about her. Like, literally, she has not changed. Like, that's a that's a compelling case to make. Like, wow, he's even experimenting with Birdie. Like, how good is this damn character? now and, and and he used him he used him for one match against chris t at capcom cup before the change there, happened. yeah oh, okay well there you go um uh and, and again it just it doesn't take much to change in these games so you change one thing and, and this character mostly got nerfs but that was the one you know kind of like standout change that he got um it can make a big difference especially again like if you talk to most people at v, about v trigger 2 with birdie the the chain um i think even at capcom cup uh there's another birdie player there who pulled it out um at the last chance qualifier and i think the commentator people called it like a shenanigan like hey is he mm-hmm. not familiar with this and can i use it and that's how unexplored that move was at that time um it's so much stuff goes unexplored. Again, uh, I go back to V Trigger 2 with Manat. I don't want to tell the story again, but you can really mess people up. And that is a damn good V Trigger. It's not amazing. It's not as good as V Trigger 1, but it's damn good. And and you can do so much damage. And, and just this stuff like just stays below the, the, the radar for people. It's like, go explore. Like, go look at this stuff. It's good. Go use it. Like, don't just X copy what the pros are doing. But But yeah. Dude, you know, but so I'm scared now because we haven't really started the pro tour, but it's just, I mean, uh, Street Fighter, or uh, uh, what is it? Evo Japan is this weekend. We got final round kicking the pro tour off next month. What if we find that the character that floats to the top of the BS, it's like it's like Rashid and, and then it's Birdie. <laughs> and everyone's playing Birdie and doing the dumb stuff with Birdie. And it's like the way Abigail functioned last you know, season with like, well, anyone can kind of just put you in a 50-50 that does 70% of your life. If Birdie is anything close to that and we see a, a huge influx of them, then he's just basically maybe not even winning tournaments, but definitely destroying dreams. Oh, that's not a good character to fill that. I mean, you don't want any character in that role, but Birdie, and that just might be my past biases talking because I've been frustrated with this character for a while. And actually, I'm not as much as I used to be like I, I, because I've had to just basically grind it out. But man, if people are just, if everyone's coming and doing that approach, the game is, uh, it's not going to look good. I, I'm, I'm afraid for that. So not passing judgment right now, but if that's how things turn out and it's like, hey, things are kind of set up to go in that direction, I'm a little worried. Yeah, yeah John, welcome to my life. Like, I loved it because I complained about Abigail for like the longest time. And John was like, ah, he's not that bad because Nikali typically beats Abigail and like really destroys him if the Abigail player does not know exactly what he's doing and plays very patient. You've got to be pretty high level with Abigail to, to make that matchup like pretty decent. Uh, most people feel Nicali wins at 6-4. He's got some pretty yeah. good stuff in there. And I complain up and down. John's like, ah, Abigail's fine. And I'm like, no, he's not fine. He's not okay. You don't understand. And so now he's complaining about Birdie. And I'm like, yeah, guess what? Like, Manat beats that. Like, that might be a 7-3 matchup in Manat's favor even now. Like, it's she does very well against that character. Um, and I'm like going, yeah, eh, whatever. You know, you, now you have to deal with this, you know, type thing. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, again, I'm not okay with that. Like, I, I want the, the sanctity of the game, what sanctity there is here in Street Fighter five to remain um at the, i i i feel it no matter what character it is and i want the bs gone but he's a grappler or he's a brawler or whatever capcom wants to term him like he's gonna be able to do just do it moves and get success for that but hopefully it's counterbalanced properly with him taking the proper risk 
and having the proper disadvantages of being able to get into that range to blow people up. And right now, I don't see Birdie having those proper disadvantages, not with the, his bullhead and all that kind of stuff, like being basically too safe on block for too many characters, I will say. Some characters can punish him okay, too many characters cannot, and and that is a big issue with the character. Um, so we'll see. Uh, it's interesting. I, I, I called BS on, on Topanga when they had you know Birdie this high. Again, I have extreme biases against character because, as I say, I play a character who blows him up. Um, we're going to see. It, it's very interesting. Sweet. I'm excited. Yep. <laughs> All right. So uh, next up, uh, I... Capcom did a developer blog about Final Fight, and and I you know Final Fight has huge ties to the Street Fighter universe. Uh, they're in the same you know realm, you know whatever you want to say here, and and of all things, uh, Capcom CEO at the time Kenzo Sujimoto, he took his uh, his his staff working on Final Fight and like gave them multiple movies to watch, and and one of those movies was Streets of Fire, which is a movie from from 1984. Uh, it's got Willem Dafoe, uh, Diane Lane, and a few other other uh, notable actors Rick, Rick Moranis is in there as well um and and I watched the trailer for it and I got stupid hype over it uh it's it's got like every single cliche from the 80s that you would want to see uh and, and, and to lead in here a little bit more uh the name the main character is named Tom Cody and literally that is Cody from from Final Fight like some of the the mannerisms and other stuff are there the dress is not quite the same but a lot of it is there um this movie was supposed to be a trilogy but it was so like it, it did not do very well and so they canceled all the other movies that were, were going to come with it um and just give people a little bit of idea, like why this movie bombed. Someone involved with the production said this movie is about visuals. Like you know, someone was asking, like, "Hey, what are we doing with this film? You know, what's it about?" And so explaining the concept of they're like, "It's about visuals. It's about excitement. It's about thrills." Don't worry about the script, verbatim quote. So so this person is asking other people involved with the film, like like, "Hey, the script is kind of sucky. It's kind of trashy." And he always got the same answer: the script does not matter. Don't worry and, about the uh, the cutscenes. Don't worry about the gameplay. Just be worried yeah. about you have these big IPs in the front. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So I tried up and down to verify if Capcom wrote the script or was behind the messaging here, but I was unable to find or verify any kind of backing info on that. Sorry, Capcom, but it sounds like something you would do. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so yeah. <laughs> Capcom CEO makes all his employees watch this film to get like American culture and influence, all that kind of stuff. And it cracked me up when I read this because I and, and totally joking here. Uh, what kind of idiot makes his employees watch a movie to influence him? Because I made my staff members watch Moneyball before we had a big yes, project coming up. I'm like, I'm like, everyone must watch this movie. And I'm like, they're like, why do we need to watch this movie? I'm like, just do it. Like it's for influence and for all this. And like, and then I read like a year later that, that, uh, that Capcom CEO made them do the same dumb thing. It's not apples like, right. to apples. And, and they were, they were pressed for time. So they actually had this three rig setup where they put three movies on at the same time and watched them trying to get an idea of American culture because they wanted to set final fight in like the New York city kind of atmosphere. And it's like, yeah, that's how you get American culture is watching. I mean, to an extent, man, but like it's the movies. It's highly dramatized. And I guess that might be what you want in a game. But they they also they grabbed from what was it? Les Miserables. It was inspiration yeah. for Mike Hager because uh, Jean Valjean, the, the protagonist, winds up becoming the mayor of the city after, you know, spoilers, by the way, if you haven't seen Les Mis. <laughs> and then um, they also took a little bit out of, uh, what was it, Audrey Hepburn and uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's because they had a weird, like, Japanese landlord. So that was their inspiration for um, one of the uh, the big, like, sumo-like characters. Uh, was it Wu? 
Hu Wang, what is it? I don't, I don't remember. Wang Hu. Yeah, close. Um, and it, I don't know. But the, the connections that they ended up making were pretty out of left field. And it's like, yeah, I mean, guys, go, go spend uh, some time in America or something like that if you really want to get the culture. But the idea of watching three movies at once on a screen to try to, to, to garner, you know, a sense of American <laughs> culture is like, huh, wonder why that didn't quite work out or translate correctly. But yeah. Well, apparently it translated great dude these games are all huge successes and like the stereotypes and all that kind of stuff yeah. are like amazing and this stuff now like i i'm personally taking streets of fire now that that movie i was talking about as canon like this is now canon to the street fighter universe because they based everything on this they have Willem defoe and like you know the green goblin from from spider-man they have him in a black garbage bag with like overalls on it literally it looks like they cut a garbage bag out <laughs> and like put some straps on it and like boom and they actually put that character in final fight his name is bread and and it not bread like with like you know like eat bread that you eat but b-r-e-d like you're breeding or something i don't know why they chose that name <laughs> but man it's great it is it's it's so full of cliches and cheese and it's it's everything that you would expect a 1980s movie to be like it is it is like just over the top they didn't care about the script they just want to make vision oh man it's gold and, and so i have not watched the movie itself i've watched the trailer about 10 times uh, i get hyped to watch it every single time again it's canon i gotta get into it <laughs> he's linked it up in the event hubs chat more than once yeah. I'll let you guys yes. know yeah so so anyway, if uh, if if I end up actually watching the movie, which I have to now, yeah, I, I actually have to watch it. I'm probably going to bill the company for my time and the rental fee, but you know, I actually won't do that. <laughs> but uh, only in the, only if I watch it on three monitors. There you but go. anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I highly recommend checking it out. It's it's really great to just see um, the influences and the things that that developers in the day had to do. You know, it, it's the stuff like we have Wikipedia now. We have all these type of things that are you know, readily available, easy to research. Um, sometimes, like you know, movies that got sent over to Japan or like the only resource you have so it's like okay well what are we going to do like we're not going to spend five days at a library you know we have to watch three movies at the same time to save time you know um so you know there's some limits here so you understand some of the things that came about but but just seeing the the basis that you know like the fundamental material is in here like you can see roxy and poison and like the lead singer like diane lane is up on stage and like she's in like you know the the dress outfit and and you can you can completely see everything just shining through influence wise and, and i enjoy that and it's just a uh, i enjoy the cheese so yeah absolutely reminds me of a uh, top gun and ken's theme i can't yes, i can't see ken's like i can't see ken's street fighter 2 um stage and hear the theme without thinking of uh val kilmer yeah yeah val kilmer gets like right up in tom cruise's face and like does like a playful bite in it. <laughs> Well, I hadn't pictured that, but now that'll be the thing that plays in my head. Great, cool. Next topic. Oh man, <laughs> man, Top Gun is great. I, I, I don't, I can't even get started. If you guys think I'm hype over Streets of Fire, like Top Gun, I'm just gonna go ballistic over because it, it is. Oh, it's so amazing. I love that film. Anyway, my next topic, as you said, we have Smash doing incredible sales and Nintendo going, eh, not good enough. What do you think about this, John? We recently spoke about Street Fighter. Five, getting to almost 3 million sales within three years. Smash Ultimate sold like 5 million its like first weekend and then dropped on December 7th. By the end of the year, on December 31st, it had sold 12 million copies. So it's like that kind of gives you an idea of how well Smash tends to do and how big its audience is. So it was uh, Games Radar. They did an interview with um, the devs. And one of the things that came up were the, the sales, of course. And you'd think that, that Nintendo would go, yeah, that's awesome, it's great, it's exactly what we wanted. 
they uh, they actually basically said there's room for growth and we're not quite satisfied with 12 million copies and so it's like well where do you what what do you garner from that and it's it's not that they didn't sell enough volume but i'll quote here what what they basically were were getting at um, and to give a little context at the end of the year nintendo was basically banking on two titles to get them to the point where they would be satisfied with their with their goals and that was pokemon let's go and uh, Smash Ultimate. And so here's what the uh, the developer said. said, with Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu slash Let's Go Eevee, we asked, how could we reach people who had played Pokemon Go, for example, but never played the Switch? And then with Ultimate, we asked, how could we reach not only the fans of Super Smash Bros, but also those who had never played anything in the series before? And if you look at the demographics of consumers who purchased each of these titles, I'm not convinced we've completely overcome these challenges yet. So, our aims are to keep working on them this year, to expand sales of these titles to new consumer demographics, and to keep selling these games for a long time, which is one of our strengths. And you go, well, I mean, shoot for the shoot for the moon, you know, Nintendo, and then that's probably why they are where they are as the, you know, and they've seen the amounts of success that they've had, but it's just an example of, hey, we sold 12 million, not good enough, keep going. Yeah, I, I will shout out Nintendo and say their their titles are very evergreen. Um, they do you know sell for a long time, and that's the one statement there that jumps out to me. And uh, obviously, that's their intention here. Um, but man, if I ever get to the day where we're getting you know twelve million twelve million visitors a month on event hubs, and I'm like, eh, not enough, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> we get a million a month. That's great. I'm very thrilled about that. Um, man, I getting 12, 12 million and being like, eh. That sucks. You we know? need to get more eighty-year-olds. <laughs> We're not hitting enough eighty-year-olds. We need that grand demographic oh, too. Jeez, <laughs> man, it's a, a props to Nintendo. I'm, I mean, it's it's awesome. Their goals are so high with this stuff. Uh, hope it works out for them. Um, my goodness. So. Yeah. All right, moving right along. Now we wanted to get into the most technical fighting games in the Street Fighter series. So if there's can be like an explosion sound effect you put in there or something like that. I'm not gonna. Like, I'm I, not gonna put that in there. Uh, Damn. All right. Well, anyway, um, so uh, to get into some of the parameters here of like what we're what we're looked at, at least or what I looked at and now I'm telling John about uh, is uh, one is the eye test. Um, a lot of the stuff is how things fill for us because there's no tried and true method of like testing like execution. Uh, the bottom line is that that in some games, some things are easier, some things are tougher. To give an example of that, uh, actually in Street Fighter 2, there's no shortcut for DP motions. You have to hit the DP motion, you have to do it very well. Um, also reversals and wake up timing are one frame. So if you want to do a, a full, like, true reversal, you have to have very good timing. You have to nail your DP perfectly. It's actually a thing. It's hard to do. Um, you play old Sagat, cheater, um, but <laughs> you understand the, the concept here uh, that it's actually very hard to do, you know, uh, DPs and other stuff like that, right? Absolutely, yeah. And there's no crosscut yeah. either. Yes. So that's that's much easier to do like pretty much like starting with like street fighter 4 they made reversal windows like i think like four or five frames or something like that very very much easier you know you have input leniency and all that um but also with street fighter 4 you have things like option selects and you have you know plinking and you have you know a lot of one frame links and other things and and so how do you go about separating those type of things like how do you say that that street fighter 2 has more execution than street fighter 4 in this regard but this has it in more and again to me it comes down a lot to the eye test and a lot of you know how much our experiences like like flow throughout these games uh how much have we you know put time into them uh, what level were they played at that's a big deal you know things of that nature but how do you see it john okay so street fighter 4 
introduced a lot more in the way of shortcuts, right? And things were easier to get off more consistently because I think that was the first time, especially after Street Fighter 3, uh, that Capcom went, you know what, we need to really make this game more accessible uh, at the ground level. And they did that even more in Street Fighter 5. But Street Fighter 4 is, I think, where they, they made the biggest jump to there because 3, you know, as, as hard as it was to kind of do things in 2, it felt like the difficulty in two was more along the lines of like we're just trying we're just beginning to figure out how to make these kinds of games and and so maybe there's a difficulty that doesn't need to be there and that it's just a consequence of this is where we are in our timeline as developers and this is how much we've learned and and it's not very much at this point right Street Fighter three it was uh, is a little bit easier in some respects because they had a little more information but it wasn't simple. Street Fighter 3 is regarded as one of the most, like, one of the harder games to, to play, right? Be consistent at, and, and, and I think it's a little more technical than everything else. So, so 4 kind of dumbed things down in that, in that regard, although it did also have very um, clear intent to be more difficult in the way of things like one-frame links, right? So you, I just immediately think of like an evil Ryu combo where it was flashy, um, but you couldn't, you couldn't necessarily consistently do it without a ton of practice, right? So I don't know. What was your initial question here? I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, just no, that's perfect. We're just kind of, you know, giving the listeners here an idea of what we're talking about. And it's interesting that you say that Street Fighter 3 is your, your like pinnacle of execution here in the Street Fighter series, right? Well, I don't know. I didn't play enough 3 to say that it's my, you know, own. I think in the level of technicality i think three is probably at the top okay and, and that's interesting because i actually have street fighter 4 at the very top of my list and and the reason why is to play the game at the highest of levels one the, the the linking system in here was a big deal um you basically had to be very good at plinking um at but the you highest had level. plinking Yes, you did. And well, I mean, plinking has existed like before in other games as well. You just didn't have to do it. Like Street Fighter 4 is like it made you have to do it. And that's another thing too people don't realize. Uh, option selects have been around since Street Fighter 2. Um, and again, Damdai made them infamous in the game like later on, way later on in the lifespan uh, by doing, you know, the, the crazy T-Hawk um, thing where he would either DPU or, or command grab you and it was pretty much inescapable if you pulled it off correctly. Um, but this stuff has been around for a long time. Um, Street Fighter 4 just popularized it and made it like basically a necessity at the highest levels like i look at stuff like option selects and all the things you had to do in street fighter 4 uh, on the regular to stay safe and to be competitive and i look at it as the pinnacle of execution and technical knowledge uh needed in a street fighter game proper uh i don't think there's anything that that is as you know dominant as that um and i know you know people might laugh about it and go well you know you don't have parries and all that kind of stuff like yeah they replaced it with like 50 other things that you had to learn and do and and, and to me that actually stands at the very top of the heap um you know, just for those reasons. Uh, and, and it's interesting, too, you know, it introduced, like, uh, um, uh, input latency. Um, uh, but, man, it's just at the highest of levels, like, that's a really a big thing I look at is that you had to have this stuff. You could not get by without doing this stuff at, at those levels because you would just fall, you know, on your face all too often. Well, so when we're talking about technicality, I'm trying to kind of put it in something of a box, give it something of a definition. Mm-hmm. And what I what I'm kind of moving towards is... Maybe it's like that you have more options to be juggling at the same time. 
more nuances to be aware of simultaneously and more possible outcomes for situations and uh and it's like a, oh so a, so you're saying street fighter 5 is number one then no not at all i think street oh, fighter 5 is probably the lowest and i'll get to that because yeah, street yeah. fighter 5 very much is about throwing like we've talked about juggling pins options at your opponent and making them overwhelmed or, or not quite ready for whatever might be coming right but i think that street fighter 5 is like on the very basic level of that it's like i'm either going to jump or dash forward or do birdie's charge move and that is doing that but it's on a very basic level it's like i'm going to do one of these three things and the answer is you know you either anti-air or not and then the the problem the reason that worked so well in street fighter 5 for so long was a big part of it was the input lag so even if you did react to it you didn't react to it in time and then you have just things along the lines of the you know crush counters paired with the the uh, priority system where doing those very basic juggling things is enough to to win but then you go to like street fighter 3 where the introduction of the parry mechanic makes even a a single jump in has like a lot more in the way of layers to it because if someone jumps forward in that game it's a 50 50 because you can't just dp them because if they if they parry in the air then they're just gonna negate your dp completely and then you're gonna eat a fat combo for doing for doing the anti-air right so that dp could be the answer that you go for if you think they're jumping in with an actual attack but like even a single jump in there's a lot more layers to it and that's just a jump in. That's in like virtually every fighting game ever, you know, for the most part. And that those kind of interactions, the parry is is pretty omnipresent in this game. Oh, let me let me jump in here actually and say I I really hate this in the fighting game community that people have put parries up on this pedestal in Street Fighter Three. I played the game and I, I played it at a tournament level. I wasn't incredible, but I played it. Parries were so overrated in terms of like because people look at Evo moment, you know, 37 and all that. And, and like, Oh, it's, you know, they were a thing, you know, they were a thing, but they were, they were another layer on top of, of, you know, the base gameplay that existed. And it actually shut down a lot of things. Cause there was almost no zoning in this game. Right, uh, like the fireballs, fireball, right? Yeah. And, 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 and so that whole element of the game is, is heavily dialed back. It's there. It's just very dialed back. Um, and it, it so, I get it. Uh, parries end up a lot of times being a hard read and a bait uh, on someone. Um, it was you could work some stuff in there, but it was very much like, "Hey, I'm going to key in this parry. If I, you know, if I mistime it or do something wrong, you're going to blow me up for it, and I, I'm dead. But I think you're going to stick out a button here. I think you're going to do this. And I don't know, like." I, I, I respect what parries are. I respect, you know, people that are really good with them and man, are they flashy when you see them going? Cause they're not, you know, for, for lower level players, they're, they're very hard to pull off. Um, but I think if you had parries in street fighter four, you would have seen a lot of very impressive stuff with that. And again, parries are in street fighter five with a few characters. They have them, you see them, they're a part of the gameplay. Um, and they're very much, they don't work the exact same way, but they work similar enough. They're not a complete departure and, and you can see how often they're applicable with those characters and stuff. And I go, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, if I jump at a Colleen, um, I'm thinking about one of my options is completely empty jump, and then if she parries, I can crush counter. And yes, so it does make, in, in that particular instance, it adds a layer of what I guess we would call technicality to to this interaction. But in Street Fighter Three, everyone had a parry. Everyone could do it in the air, on the ground, or low, and it was always another layer. that was. And, and even if it wasn't used constantly, and it, and, and it got a lot more... Um, thought than it did action is, is what I think what you're getting out there it's like oh my gosh the parry it's it's like it's it's changing everything and it's like well really it comes down to being like a an, an actual actor that influences the outcome 
you know, 30% of the time. And it feels like everyone's like, oh man, every single game is determined by parries. The fact of the matter is that it's always there. And so that that's always another constant juggling pin that you have to have in your in your mind. And then if you go to Street Fighter V, you know, uh, most of the time it comes down to a 50-50 situation. Like, am I going to do this or that? You can either do this or this, and that's the depth of things. And so as many options as there are, it's it's usually like I can do this 50-50, or I can do this 50-50, or I can do that one. But it's not this kind of wealth of like a combination of all those things at once or, or more layers at once. It's usually two layers at a time. And so that's why I don't feel like it's as technical. So we're, we're already getting into it. And I, I think a lot of our readers are going to be going here too. And that's dogging Street Fighter V. That's the, you know, the popular thing to do. This game has, you know, way dial back execution, way less thought, all that kind of stuff. That's what you hear in the community, right? So I'm going to throw some stuff out here and, and uh, you know, see, you know, what stuff you agree and disagree on. Um, uh, one, do you think that Street Fighter Four is more technical than Street Fighter Five is? Well, that's kind of the next place we have to kind of dig up and figure out where we're at. So I'm glad you brought that up. And some of this I'm, I've, I've thought about, but some of it I, I really am, have not come to a firm conclusion. So the first place that my mind goes is Street Fighter Four. Um, in terms of execution, I think it's decent. I think it's there because I think we've, but we're talking about technicality. Option selects. That's something of a significant wrench, and I don't know which direction they take it because you're basically inputting multiple layers you know, for an interaction at the same time. Meaning there are multiple layers. You know, like you could either on your wake up, you could block, you could backdash, you could jump, you could do a move. But and, and I'm I'm having to you know execute multiple commands at once. But it covers multiple things too. So even though there are more layers in one sense, the fact that you can cover them all means that they're not present, at least in the way that we're talking about them, and that would ultimately lower the technical score. I'm not certain that that's the direction that you're supposed to go with this, but I think of characters like, well, C. Viper, right? Where she was just like constantly having to make decisions and all over the place and on a very high level she felt very technical, but also very, um, very efficient. Very bra- she very could brain do it. dead. Yeah, she would just she would just do moves all because the time. you could dial yeah. things in. And yes. even though there was like she had to do like faint cancel super jump hit the thing, but that might just maybe be more in the realm of execution than technicality. I'm not sure. But ultimately, if I, okay, so overall, let's do this. I, right with where I stand now, I rank them. Um, as far as technicality goes, I think Street Fighter V is the least technical. I think four comes in after that, and I think three of these games um, are is the most technical. Okay, uh, where do you have uh, Alpha and Street Fighter Two then? I've never really played Alpha, so I can't with any kind of confidence, you know, talk about it. As far as Street Fighter Two, technicality. Uh, it doesn't seem all that deep. I think that it's it's more of like the the commitment to um, I'm gonna do this move or that move, and like the game the gameplay doesn't seem more than like you know either jump over the fireball or don't and kind of have an idea. But the execution's a lot harder. So Street Fighter Two is kind of hard to hammer down for me. And I also don't have a ton of experience in it. I think technical wise, mm, a little bit lower. But uh, but still, I would still maybe put it above five for sure. Okay, um, I have in my order here is uh, number one is Street Fighter Four, uh, followed by Street Fighter Three, then Five, then Alpha, then Street Fighter Two at the very bottom. So Street so, Fighter Two is the least technical uh, by far. I think uh, I, I don't even think it's close. So yeah, well to me it it does feel like Street Fighter Two 
is similar to Street Fighter V in that it's like, you know what, you're going to pick an option and commit to it, but there are even less options in Street Fighter II, and not as many of them lead to, you know, a crazy amount of oaky situation where you snowball. It's like more like, yeah, you hit the, the anti-air, now you're back to the decision-making process again. And so I think that the whole pick an option and go works better in that because it's not as much snowball. And I know that there's plenty of broken stuff about two. Um, th that's certainly not lost on me. And I know that, like you said, they introduce option selects later on. And, and so I'm kind of hesitant to put too much of a, uh, to try to put Street Fighter 2 into too much of a box because I'm not, I'm by no means an expert there. So I'm more just kind of listing off the, the attributes that I see and saying, well, based on my understanding of these things, this is kind of how I see it, but I'm open to be corrected. All right, so we, we've set the stage here very well, and now people want us to address the elephant in the room. How do we feel Street Fighter V stands up in a technical aspect of things? And I'll go ahead and kick us off here with, with an example. I have Street Fighter Four at the very top of my list. Um, I think, again, that's a pinnacle of, of execution and technical ability um, to its detriment. Um, again, I think that you you did too many things in that game that would cover options. You didn't have to think enough. Um, it's uh, it's It's one of its strengths became one of its big weaknesses, which is very typical, right? But I played Rose uh, very heavily in Street Fighter 4. I was a tournament level player, um, all that kind of stuff. Like I, I was, you know, I wasn't amazing. I'm not like freaking Justin Wong or something out there. I'm, I'm okay. You know, I was all right. Um, and and Rose is probably one of the, the least technical characters in Street Fighter 4. Um, she's not very far out there. You don't have to do a lot to do combos with her. Uh, her strategy and approach goes mainly into footsies and a few option selects. Uh, I play Manat in Street Fighter 5, who's the most technical character in the game and there are times where I'm running long, long sets with uh, Dream King and I literally get mentally fatigued to the point where I can't play the character anymore and I've never had that happen in a fighting game that, ever so with Manat just a quick aside mm -hmm. here when I think of her as technical, I do agree that she's very technical. I don't, I'm not certain that she's the most in the game, but I'll take your word for it right now because I don't have a, an argument against you. But I do think that the the main technical thing that comes out of Manat is the V Trigger One, and you're a V Trigger Two Manat player. So when right. you say she's technical, where do you where where else is she so technical? So I joke with, with people that Manat has one move, but she really has one move, and that's her sphere toss. Uh, there is she has like the, her other special move is the you know the the soul throw, but you really only use that in combos and sometimes as anti air. It's pretty much a negligible move, and and so how is a character that has basically one move that technical? And the way that you do her sphere toss in all of her combos, it has to change depending on your timing, spacing, and everything, and it's constantly changing, and you're constantly having to juggle it every single time you hit a button with Monat, like let's say you do a jump heavy kick, you're committing to that sphere coming out on screen for about a second. And you have to have your recovery and your timing set up so that the sphere comes back to you so you can do a follow-up attack. Um, you need to know your spacing perfectly. Uh, it's... It is a constant juggling act of being aware of what you're doing and what the other person is doing, and especially with the just do it moves in this game and you know being able to be blown up by a single jump in and all that kind of stuff. The amount of wear and tear your brain takes while playing this character is insane. Um, again, to the point where I, I get mentally fatigued playing her and I've got to go play Bison. I've got to go play a dumb character so I can, I can have some relief there. I have never, ever, ever had that happen in a fighting game before any fighting game ever um it's just it's like oh like i'm i'm hurting now like i'm literally i can't process the stuff anymore i am so fatigued from playing her um hopefully that explains like uh, a little bit did, did that answer your question okay yeah absolutely 
Yeah. So it's again, it's it's amazing how a character with one move can be that technical. But but just throwing that orb and, and putting it out on screen and doing all that kind of stuff. And the V Trigger Two, it's nowhere near as technical as V Trigger One. But you still have to do uh, micro walk combos. Uh, you have to do some fairly tight links to get stuff to go. Uh, and again, you have to juggle that with the sphere toss stuff that I was mentioning before. Uh, it's it's a big deal. And so I would actually put uh, Monat as about double the amount of technical ability that it took to play Rose. Um, so that's learning a whole nother new character and getting very, very, very good with them. Uh, and, and that's just to get Monat up to a pretty respectable level. It's hard. Um, and so that's kind of like the, the big wrench I wanted to throw in here into the discussion is you take a character like Nikali, uh, you take a character like Bison, um, Abigail, or Kami, uh, any of those kind of like very low execution characters, and you go, yeah, if those if those are your experience in this game, I don't think you have a very heavy respect for what you have to do in Street Fighter V. But you take characters like uh, um, uh, Minot, um, going down my list here, Zeku, uh, G, Urian, Vega. Um, I think those characters all take a pretty good amount of, of, of execution and, and commitment to play with them. Uh, and that's, that's kind of where I come in is like your experiences can vary quite a bit depending on who you play. I'll give you that I think that there are technical or more technical characters in Street Fighter V um, in that I, I don't think execution on like any level is very high in Street Fighter V. Uh, are you forgetting about Monats V Trigger 1? Well, so so that's like the hardest thing to do, but like you're still seeing people consistently do it, like online and whatnot, and and where like even evil Ryu combos, for instance, you weren't seeing people consistently doing those online. Th- those got dropped all day online. And I mean, I see Monat's V Trigger one combos dropped by Infiltration and Sako all the time, like all the time, because uh, they're that hard. Um, and again, I watch for it a lot, uh, and I know for a fact. Um, that that a drop is coming. They, I think their success rate. I think I watched Infiltration win an entire tournament, and I think for every match he was on stream, um, he did not land a single full-on V Trigger One combo. And this is Infiltration. Um, and he may have landed like two of them, maybe two out of like thirty or something, but it was really low. Um, he would get like you know three or four or five hits out of it, and then he would drop it and just you know have to go for a mix-up or whatever afterwards. Well, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't know the specific um, instances that you're talking about, but I, I also know that a lot of the, you know, situations not, will drop on purpose to reset, you know, scaling and such too. So and I don't know. Usually at the very end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the very end, you're right. It's usually you get your damage and then when it starts to scale too heavy, you have an orb or two left and then you throw those out. It's, it's usually with one or two orbs left and then you go for the reset. So, okay. So with Street Fighter V... I think that there are some characters where you have uh, more options to be juggling at once in terms of like your approach, Minot and her V-Trigger one being uh, one of those easily highlightable ones. But on the whole, it's like a lot of characters are more like Verdi, where you're just, it doesn't matter who you are, you're just going to go in and you're going to do this thing. And how much thought are you going to put into it? Like how much, when you're playing against like a Rashid and you lose to him, and what's one of the first things you think? It's like, man, how much did he even think about that? Do you feel like he earned it? And no, and so much of the frustration that comes out of Street Fighter V comes from, it's like a, it's, it's an anyone can win at any given time game. It's like an any given Sunday kind of game. That's dumbing it down a little bit too much. I realize that not just anyone's randomly going to win Evo or randomly win Capcom Cup, but relatively speaking, it's been a game that has been designed for to, to be as inviting as possible. And one of the issues with that is that it makes it so that the things that are that are efficient 
are fairly low level, easy to do things that basically put people in 50-50s a lot. And I think what this kind of comes down to is, yes, there are technical aspects of the game. Yes, there are technical situations, but there are so many more non-technical and very like kind of just binary 50-50, did you do it or not situations like we were talking about earlier with Birdie and Fudo and that uh, those let me, let me... overshadow anything that is technical. The non-technicality so, is much more efficient than the technicality is. So you're throwing names out there like like Birdie, Rashid, I, I throw Abigail in there, or, you sure. know, formerly him at least. Let me throw a few more names at you. Sea Viper, Yun, Akuma, Kami, Abuki, Abel. What about those? Him? Were some dumb characters. Sakura, man. So it's like, oh, I got one jump in, and now you're. I'm gonna oki you to death. Look at look at Abuki. Crouch, medium punch, and and, and then she get one knockdown, and then she'd um uh, kunai you to death. Like, and it was she had option selects to cover a bunch of stuff. Like, I look at this and I, I see the same things over again. Like, I, I, to me, like I see the same dumb characters we've always seen. Right, and I don't um, think Street Fighter Four was a ton more technical than Street Fighter Five. I think it was just slightly. I just put it one above Street Fighter Five. I think Street mm-hmm. Fighter Five was the least. I think Street Fighter Four was the second least because even though, like I said, it had those layers, uh, it it also had a lot of things like plinking and like option selects to to negate how many la- how intimidating those layers were gotcha gotcha so let's, we're, we're bashing street fighter 5 here pretty well um i do want to get into the things that i think are very strategical about the game uh technical execution that kind of stuff uh, and I'll, I'll flat out address like hey easy links like that was links were a big deal in street fighter 4 uh, we had to learn plinking we had to learn all that kind of stuff a lot of characters had one frame links you had to learn to play well and that's the one aspect of this game that they've completely you know dialed back i get that i get that's where a lot of people start bashing it but Something I do here uh, in this game is, is um, I go into the match like coming up with more of a game plan than than just reacting to stuff on the fly. Like in Street Fighter 4, it was like, okay, you can have a game plan against me. I don't really care. I can react to it. I can use my reactions to completely compensate for everything you might come up with, and I've got mm-hmm. option selects to cover that stuff. I don't really have to think that much going into the match. I'm just going to start, you know, sit down and play it. And, and that was a big thing for me. Like in this game, I'm actually having to really evaluate matches before I go into it, the player style, all that kind of stuff the commitment based system here and understanding my opponent's options and, and knowing that I I don't have an option select to cover my butt. I do not have that 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 benefit here. I have to commit to my options in this. And if my options suck, I'm gonna lose. And, and that was something I never really had to deal with in Street Fighter 4. Maybe that's part of playing Rose because she was a pretty cheap defensive character. Yeah. Um but but even then it's like I, I there were still characters that could blow you up. Um but it was like man I felt like I felt like I had training wheels on in Street Fighter 4, and I feel like those damn training wheels are off, and I'm thrown right into the middle of the jungle, and I've got to, you know, fight my way out of this kind of thing. Um, uh, a couple other things here, like every button has a use in Street Fighter 5, pretty much. Uh, you have a lot of useless buttons in these other fighting games from Capcom, uh, and, and with Street Fighter 5, it's like, hey, guess what? Um, every button now has a purpose. You need to learn every button with your character. I will give you that for sure yes. for Street Fighter Five. I remember that was something that they specifically wanted to do because there were a handful of moves in Four where they just said, "Yeah, that no one ever uses these." And the the only issue that they have with that at this point is is not so much in normals. Most all normals have a, a purpose for most characters. 
uh, they had a problem with V triggers, but that's kind of its own thing. And yeah. they're trying to make it so that you'll pick either one. But I mean, just from day one, what was one of the main complaints about Street Fighter V is that you couldn't tell who was playing which character. You just saw like if Nikali was on the screen, and maybe that's not the best example. Um, but there are a lot of characters like that where it's like, yeah, you were there was a right way to play the character, and you just did that, and that was pretty much that. And you couldn't, there wasn't much in the way of room for personal. Uh, player expression and i think that's tied very tightly to how technical the character is and how how many different routes you can take and how many different sub routes you can take in certain situations in street fighter 5 it's like here's what you do in this situation here's what you do in this situation and they've they've done some stuff to regulate that and and they've made it better but i think uh it's it's very much a there, here, there's two layers. You pick one, you go with it. And so that's why I don't give it much of a technical score. You know, and, and I think that your point about the launch roster here is very important to, to designate. Um, I do think the launch roster for, for Street Fighter V was pretty underwhelming from a technical standpoint. And and if you look across like the, the least technical characters in the game, the least thought required, it's usually the launch characters. I mean, that's pretty much them across the board. You've got Rashid, Bison, Birdie, Nikali. Uh, that's, it's kind of like, yeah, they, they didn't invest enough in those characters and they haven't evolved enough over the years. Uh, and I mean, that's good because you get people in the door, but it's also a point I really can't argue against where, yeah, they're kind of, they're kind of basic compared to the rest of the cast, if you ask me. And, and there are some, well, so when you think about technicality in Street Fighter V, you go, well, um, one of the things that stands out is Urien and his V-Trigger 1, right? Because you can do a lot of different kind of setups and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it was to the point where when Nemo started doing these different kinds of things, we were really surprised and it was crazy. And we're like, oh, what's Nemo going to do with V-Trigger this time? And that actually, it the game was so routine that when he did that, it was something to talk about. Yeah. And I don't think that Street Fighter Four ever really felt like that. You know, it's not certainly not to that degree. It wasn't cool to see. I mean, Sako would take whatever character he decided to play and pull out some crazy new stuff with it because of the way you could express yourself with um, a single character in so many different ways. You know, he he had his. It was very clear Sako Kami. It was very clear Sako Evil Ryu. Characters like Rolento were just like so all over the place, and there was so much you could go around and do with them, and and. I just thought there was a lot more spontaneity from match to match and round to round and player to player in four than there has been in five. Yeah, I actually, I, again, I think with the DLC characters since launch, I think that's changed. And, and I think it's changed a big time in that uh, it's it's harder to impress people in this day and age with how much we see tournament footage and how prevalent like videos and everything are. Like we've really grown. And I mean, look at Twitter, look at Facebook. Like it's so easy to find a clip of this stuff. And, and I even the stuff that like, you know, we, we joked about with Blanca, like that's still very impressive, right? Uh, and how little have we seen Blanca? And let's talk about V-Trigger 2 with Birdie again. How little was that unexplored? You know, like people just weren't delving into those waters and now we're seeing it and going, holy crap, that's really good. I wish people were exploring that before with a, a boring launch character, right? Um, it's there's a Street Fighter Five has a, a lot of of things stacked against it, and I I think that the messaging surrounding the game has really hurt it and and stuck in people's minds, uh, and, and you know fairly like fairly there's nothing wrong with having that impression because that's literally coming straight from the developers. You know they 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 put that messaging out there, but one of the things I'll throw out there is is with Marvel Three. 
uh, they got rid of the punch and kicks options and it, it went to light, medium, heavy, and then the S buttons. Uh, and, and people complained. They were like, this is stupid. This is dialing things like way too far back. Uh, the execution requirements of Marvel 3 are intense. You have to learn three characters. You have to be very good with all three of them. Uh, and at the end of the game's lifespan, we saw like, you know, Filipino champ, Justin Wong, a few others like have all three characters dialed in and on point where they're doing full on combos with each one, full setups with everyone. But that took a long time to get to. That was a high highly highly impressive game um but the initial reaction to it uh was again that, that it was dialed back it was too easy uh this is not marvel 2 blah 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 uh and it took you know it took time for that to to overcome and and i guess i'll go to the point here of like okay like we're kind of in the same part of, of the lifespan with street fighter 5 and and that doesn't sound like that's been overcome in our community it still sounds like people are like oh this is basic this is stupid uh, i don't see it that much you know i i see it being different i don't see it being I, that, that commitment based play, man. It, it's, it's the thing about it is, okay, so I can do a link combo here in street fighter five, right? And it's easier to do. I've got the, the input buffer, all that great stuff going for me. If I drop that, the punishment for me dropping that is worse than any street fighter game in history that I can think of. I am going to pay a bigger price for messing up on that execution. And that's big. Like that's really big to me. It's like, okay, uh, the price for messing it up in street fighter two, four was like, Oh, well guess what? I did an option select and it covered my, you know, it covered, you know, two of your punishment options. So if you pick the right option, you punish me. If not like, eh, no big deal. I dropped this combo. Who cares? Uh, or I made it, made it safe with an FADC because I dropped it. Um, well, I mean, dropping a combo, it sounds like you're implying that there's a punish coming from it, you know, or that it's like the situation where, you know, you've whiffed a D, you know, you messed up a special and you're minus to the point where someone's going to punish you, right? I mean, yeah, there were situations where you could make things safe in four, um, but you kind of had to, most of the time, you know, you can, you can do that with like a V trigger cancel in five, you know, so... I don't know that it's necessarily like, and 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 how does that necessarily apply to the the game's technicality? It, it applies, and it's more so again. It's a different flavor of the technicality of the game. It's if I mess up uh, on a, a combo or a link, I'm going to get blown up for it much harder than I would before. So it's less so like you know the links and stuff aren't as hard, but the the punishment for for not hitting them is harder. Okay. Yeah, if that makes well, yeah. sense. <laughs> and, I, and I do. I know we've kind of moved more towards technicality than execution, but I do think that Street Fighter V's execution is is um, pretty pretty clearly the easiest of, of any game that we're talking about here of all the Street Fighters. Just with you know, there's no one frame link. Um, the buffer windows are huge. There, it just like Street Fighter Four has you know the input um, shortcuts and, and things like that. So um, really, you know, in Street Fighter V, it's like if you drop your combo, it's like that's that's pretty on you, you know, and, and, it, and it really shouldn't be happening. Um, the, the exception to that might go into something like Monot's V-Trigger where it actually kind of does, it is, is significantly harder than most of the other stuff in the game. Um, and, and I'll give you also that Monot, we saw a lot of Monot's in, in high-level competitive play. She was one of the most prevalent characters up there in the top eights, you know, in the top threes, and we saw plenty of different pros playing her. But... Even then, like, I, I don't know, I, I feel like that doesn't outweigh how much, you know, Birdie, Rashid, Bison, Nikali stuff is out there and how powerful and, and how it's like, sure, there's a sliver of the pie that is technical in, in Street Fighter V, but the majority of the graph is like pretty basic stuff. And that is much more of the game's identity than anything yeah. technical completely disagree with calling it basic like it's that's where again i i, I run into it with people it's different 
Um, I get that. I get why people call it basic and I understand that. But um, again, I, I go back to, I think you're playing the wrong characters then if you don't understand like how, how much like technical ability it, it takes to play this game. It's again, it does depend on heavily on who you play. I, I think that's an important distinction to make, as I've said before. Uh, and again, Dream King is our, our resident technical, you know, execution expert lab monster. Uh, I've asked him about Street Fighter V on numerous occasions, like, where do you feel like this stacks up? And this guy did, you know, combo videos. It's actually one of the reasons he got hired here on Event Hubs is doing Street Fighter Four combo videos. Uh, and, and like King of Fighters, like uh, uh, 13 combo videos, which, which like execution in that game. Oh, my goodness. Uh, he's very good. He's very good at execution. Uh, I've asked him, he's like, yeah, this, this game holds up just fine. Like, it's different, but it holds up just is fine um and hopefully i'm i'm not misquoting him here it's <laughs> mm-hmm. uh he'll, he'll blow me up afterwards but again that's the impression I, i've gotten many times from him um so yeah it's interesting to me it's it, it's we're on different ends of the uh the spectrum here which is fine you know it's it, it's uh it's okay not to agree with people you know and it's okay to to be like hey i don't i don't see where we're coming from here this is my point of view this is a, you know my point of view with it um uh, i i just I, I think there's i think there's more room for understanding probably on both ends of things of, of what people are talking about in the past and revisiting some of this stuff like uh, as you mentioned before you're like okay well you know there's there's dumb just do it characters in street fighter 5 completely agree but i'm like they were just as common maybe not just as common but fairly common in street fighter 4 and very good too yeah but you um, could react to a lot more of what they did more consistently than you can in in 5 and that's been attended to with the reduction of input lag but still it's like when Rashid is within you know distance of his crouching heavy or his or his you know f- you know flip kicky um, uh, roundhouse as, as a normal it's like he's just gonna do it or or maybe he'll do like the um, the spinning mixer but it's like you know that's what Rashid's gonna do from that distance you know that when you know a character has v trigger like bison they're going to do slide into to activate or that you know abuki's going to do low forward into activate um it, it's like street fighter 5 is pretty damn predictable and and but even so it's like well then you should just be able to counter it every time it's like well yeah but these moves are so strong that even if you know they're coming they still aren't you know you talked earlier about how you can just kind of react to a lot more in street fighter 4 and that's what a lot of the more um traditionally competitively minded or conservatively competitive minded uh, players like about you know the older games and dislike about five is that like yeah I know you were gonna do that bison and I still couldn't stop it so like where's the competitive factor in that you know it's like sure I, I, I know what the other team what play the other team's gonna call and I still can't stop it like why am I even here they're just gonna do yeah. that play. I, again, I look at the um, the uh, vortex options in Street Fighter Four, and I, I think of the same thing. It's like I know that's coming, and I literally don't have options to escape from it. And I'm yeah, dead. those those were those were stupid and goofy, and they they really took away from the ultimate um, or the overall competitive aspect of the game. And and Capcom did what they could to get rid of them, you know, as much as they could, because you know just Akuma getting a knockdown and then winning the game because of it was no one really wanted to see that out outside of like it happening once or twice then it just became like yeah this is this is silly and we don't want to watch this this isn't what we're here for and then I look back at Street Fighter 3 and I, I remember you know Yun's Genijin combos where you knew it was coming you knew he was going to act activate off of uh, um, his you know typical block streams and all that you knew it was coming even with a red parry uh, which is you know you're parrying and like block stun uh, so you can get out of it like people still had a hell of a time shutting that down 
Like you knew how often did we see Yun Genijin combos, and how often did we see Chun Li, you know, uh, low uh, low medium kick into to super. You know, like these options, like they're 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 strong in fighting games, and, and you know we we've had a lot of discussion about the options that are too strong in Street Fighter Five, but like this is to me, it's history repeating itself yet again. Like I've seen these options for years and years and years, and they don't go away. Like they they come back in different flavors, and I don't know. Uh, it just to me, it seems like again more of that. Yeah, very interesting to kind of, you know, roll these back and forth between each other and get these different perspectives on it. Also want to give a huge shout outs to Sed3S, my friend Abe here in uh, in the Tucson community. He's one of the uh, the OGs that, that's still kind of around and still playing um, Street Fighter V with the rest of us. And, uh, and I really respect his Street Fighter knowledge. He's been around since the two days. So I, I think of him um, similar in the way I think of you in terms of like, you know, you guys have been actively... Uh, paying attention and in like you know probably have notebooks on you know these games and you've really been devoted to it so i picked his brain a little bit too to come into mm-hmm. all this and so i definitely have to give him a shout out so right. thanks a lot Abe. yeah thank you thank you for contributing all right guys well that's going to wrap us up here um it's uh this this debate stuff is good to to dive into you want to you want to take a step back and check yourself and I'm going to go back and listen to this podcast you know in depth and hear you know the points John is talking about and going okay like how accurate were, were my points I was trying to get across here? Like, how well did I artic- articulate myself? How much was, you know, um, uh, how much was I letting in versus just stating my own opinion? You know, all that kind of stuff. Like, it's important to, to evaluate the stuff and discuss it back and forth so we continue to grow. You know, it, it's I can't tell you how many times I've, I've had a messed up opinion or really the wrong idea in my head. And it wasn't until I, I, I reflected on it for a while um, that I, I got better, you know, and leveled up and stuff about it. And I would encourage all of our listeners to do the same thing. Like like uh, you, you probably have a really strong opinion about this one way or the other. That's great. You know, put it out there, um, but also, you know, continue to, to take in knowledge and, and try to level up with this, because the more that we collectively level up as a community, the more we understand this the less frustrating experiences we're going to have, you know, the more uh, we can tell Capcom and other companies like, Hey, this is what we should be doing. This is what, you know, makes for good, compelling content in your games. And this is where you should be going. And we've talked about it before you jump on social media, you jump on other places and you're going to find a hundred different opinions from a hundred different people and and having more of a, a, a narrative, having more of a direction that these companies can really base themselves off of like, yeah, this is broken and overpowered or no, this is actually good fundamentals. You know, it helps them and it helps makes our games better. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I just would encourage everyone to do that and, and go from there. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you'll be willing to go back and realize that every time you disagreed with me that you were wrong. Yeah, it happens. So. <laughs> no, no. Um, and in all seriousness, uh, there have been more than a few occasions where John has come and, and said something uh, often about, you know, the, the comparison between Street Fighter 4 and 5 and has brought to light something that I either hadn't thought about or, or had disagreed with. And I, eventually we find out that there was, uh, there was some truth coming from behind what he was saying. And it was ultimately um, more accurate, to put it in the way that he might say it, than, uh, than I had previously thought. So the, the simple way of saying that is he's definitely been right where I've been wrong before. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Versa. Absolutely. Yeah. We, usually, we usually find somewhere in the middle ground we were both right and both wrong. Somewhere around there. So, so yeah. Well, I had fun, and uh, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say on the matter, so feel free to uh, comment. All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next week.